Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a Sunday special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater, and I will be the moderator for this morning's meeting. Today is Sunday, March 21st, 2021. Let me give you the share IDs for uh, Friday's uh, Big Book Study meetings. The 7 a.m. Big Book Study meeting, that number is 16614. That's one. 6614. And for the 10 a.m. Big Book Study meeting on Friday, that number is 16615. Again, 16615. This morning, A Vision for You presents Enlarging My Spiritual Life, No Mere Theory. And there's going to be a focus on steps two and three in particular. You know, when, when, uh, when we arrive at the in the rooms, at the shores, I guess, of Overeaters Anonymous, we're confronted with uh, the distinct realization, you know, that we're, we're doomed. And uh, unless, of course, we access power. And it's not just going to be a power marshaled anymore by our own will. It's not going to be a, a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing. But in reality access to a power greater than oneself. Now, you know, we can be clear about something that step two doesn't ask us to believe in anything, anything at all. You know, for if it, if it did, step two would, would read, uh, believed that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It would not say uh, came to believe. It would just be believed as in past tense, get your ducks in a row before you move on, but it doesn't say that doesn't say that at all, as a matter of fact, and it says came to believe. And yet, you know, there, you know, my experience, there are legions of people that perhaps leave the rooms of OA uh, because they misconstrue. I, I think that means, you know, wrong, they wrongly interpret what, what that step is asking us to do. It's, it's really just a simple invitation to remain open to a divine power, How, however improbable, however unlikely. You know, can we, step two is a call to action that can we suspend our judgment with this, right? And conversely, on the other end of the spectrum, if you arrive at step two with absolute certainty that your higher power is supreme, uh, you've got a wonderful relationship, always have, you know, can you remain open to the idea that this spiritual transformation, at least within the context of these 12 steps, may emerge in a way that you never would have known without being led through this 12-step process, despite your strong faith. And, you know, with the, with the understanding that all that step two asks of us comes down to yes or no. It's really as simple as yes or no. Yes, I'm open to coming to believe, or, or no, I am absolutely not open to coming to believe. And there are pockets of agnosticism. And there is sometimes hostility to a relationship with God. But on, on that simple basis, uh, step three then becomes just a mere formality. Can I make an affirmative declaration that I'm willing to move on with the work? You know, and, um, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, when we look, and I'll quote the, quote the AA 12 and 12, practicing step three is like opening the opening of a door, which to all appearances is still closed and locked. 
And all I need is a key and the decision to swing that door wide open. And it does, it does swing wide open. Only one key, willingness. And, and, you know, when we have the willingness, it fits every time. And the door opens to a, I guess, to a land that, you know, we can call faith. And, and the real question then becomes, can I abandon myself utterly to him? And I do that daily. Step three is in the sequence of the steps we take it. The words of the third step prayer are certainly less important than the sentiment and, and the idea. And I take it every day. You know, if Elizabeth D is going to help us out this morning, I'm going to share a quick story, very quick, <laughs> to loosen her up here if she's nervous. And she probably isn't, but if she is. I, years ago, uh, when, when Vision first started, Leah asked me to help out and, and moderate the, 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 the special edition meeting. And there was a woman from the state that Elizabeth is from. And I, got, I did my thing, and I, you know, a couple minutes, lead in, and then I, I got and I said, you know, I can't remember her name. But I said, okay, you know, please help me in welcoming so-and-so from the state that, that Elizabeth Dee is from. I said, from the state, and are you ready for this? From the state of Massachusetts. <laughs> I wanted to crawl in a hole. And I was oblivious to the fact that I just called this state. That would be like someone saying Illinois, and they call it Illinois. And someone texted me, <laughs> Elizabeth, and said, you didn't just say that, did you? So joining us this morning to share her recovery is Elizabeth D. Elizabeth D. is from Massachusetts, Larry, Massachusetts. And Elizabeth is a dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous, and she is going to bring her experience, strength, and hope to us this morning. And with gratitude, let me introduce Elizabeth D. Elizabeth, you can unmute yourself if you would. Thank you, Larry. Thank can you, you hear me? <laughs> I can perfectly. I'm telling you, there is nothing like a good laugh to get those <laughs> endorphins flowing and break down those nerves. And I did need that, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for your faithful service for, uh, for filling in uh, this morning for Leia. Larry. Thank you. Um, I'm so grateful to be here this morning to share my experience with steps two and three. Um, steps from our beloved textbook, uh, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Step two, as Larry said, is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. So before I do anything else, I need to start by saying a prayer. Um, higher power, if it be your will, remove my perfectionism and my need to be clever as I'm speaking this morning to my fellows. I ask that you direct my attention to the one person on this line that might resonate with my experience, strength, and hope. Help me to focus on that one person. I will not mind you done. So a bit of a roadmap. Um, the title of this special edition is um, The Spiritual Life No Mirror Theory. So what I hope to do is share my, how my spiritual life has evolved through the steps, how my experience with my higher power has at times stagnated and how it's grown and changed over the course of my no less than 35 years in Overeaters Anonymous and where it is now. 
And along the way, uh, I'm, I'm going to be sharing some passages from the big book uh, that I've read at certain points in my life and my programs that have been turning points in my relationship with my higher power. And like any other, it's a relationship that's dynamic. Um, but I can tell you with utter conviction that the quality of my life, whatever and however much peace, freedom, serenity, sense of usefulness and purpose that, that I experience today is linked absolutely to my experience of finding a power greater than myself that can solve all my problems, not just my food problem, and then trying my best to keep myself in alignment um, with his will. Um, you know, I failed as much as I've succeeded, but it's all good with a capital G. <laughs> The key for me has been discovering what it means for me to be entirely abstinent. And then, uh, as I'm working the steps in sequence with a recovered sponsor and finding my own conception of a higher power, and as I said, as I've said that's evolved, and how that, that higher power can and does give me neutrality around food and has given me neutrality around food. And I shall tell, I'll tell you that the issue of entire abstinence as distinguishable from abstinence alone is crucial to my story, and I'll get to that later. Um, before um, I do, before I get into step one, um, a little bit about step one, I want to just pause and say that, um, you know, this talk is about spiritual matters. Um, and naturally, I'm going to be speaking about my higher power. Um, I do believe in God, uh, but I try really hard when I'm speaking on these matters to refer to God as my higher power, um, recognizing that for a lot of us, the G word presents difficulties. Um, but invariably, uh, while I'm talking, the G word is likely to slip out, and there may be other things that I say that could arouse discomfort. And if that happens, I do want to apologize and let you know that um, causing any kind of discomfort is not my intention. Um, I am speaking entirely about my own experience of higher power. Um, I do not have a corner on wisdom when it comes to spiritual matters. That is the only thing I know for sure <laughs> in this life. I don't have a corner on wisdom. So let's dive into the steps. Um, before talking about steps two and three, I want to review what I've learned in step one. So on page 60 in the chapter, How It Works, this is what we read. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And three, that God could and would if he were sought. The last time I worked the steps with a recovered guide was in early 2017. And I'm going to be talking a lot about that, that most recent um, uh, formal step work that I did uh, going through the steps all the way from start to finish. Um, my step sponsor at that time said to me that basically the text I just read can be boiled down to the following. A, I'm screwed. B, God can help. C, I guess I'll seek him. Um, I love that. It's very simple. In step one, I realize I'm screwed. That when it comes to my compulsive overeating and my uh, compulsive food behaviors, I am crushed. Like Larry said earlier, I'm doomed, hopeless. And by the way, have you noticed that how much the word hopeless is used in the first chapters, the first early chapters? 
I think they're trying, trying to drive home to me the need to be utterly convinced of the hopelessness of my situation, the need for me to be entirely out of ideas and how to solve both the problem of my binging my brains out and the problem of relapsing after periods of abstinence, which relapses that get worse over time. And I'll get into that in my story a lot later. Um, please notice one thing. I said, I said, I realize that when it comes to my compulsive overeating, I'm defeated. I say realize in the present tense intentionally because today I work steps 10 and 11 and 12 each day to the best of my ability with God's help, but I am never through with step one. It's never going to be a box that I check off. I must continue to be convinced of the powerlessness, my powerlessness over this disease. And that's one of the reasons why I, I, I sponsor people in the steps because I need to be continually reminded of my story over and over and over again. And I'm so grateful to the people that I have sponsored who've opened themselves up and have shared their stories because I hear my story, my story of being defeated over and over again. So continuing on step one, as I said, the last time I formally took step one was four years ago in early 2017. I was coming off a particularly bad relapse, but then of course, relapses for me never get better. I binged my way up 70 pounds in three months and I was miserable. Um, page eight of Bill's story describes exactly my misery. He writes, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Oh my gosh, I'm getting a little verklempt. <laughs> in that moment of utter defeat, uh, as I'm getting, <laughs> thinking back on it, I surrendered. I got entirely abstinent at that moment. And within a couple of weeks, um, had my most recent step guide, and I was working step one. Uh, that step guide had me making lots of phone calls to recovered fellows as a part of getting abstinent, staying abstinent, and beginning the step process. One fellow said to me um, something that I'll never forget. She said, Elizabeth, you've been relapsing over and over. You've worked the steps over and over. You're doing it again. What's going to be different this time? Elizabeth, I hear you talking, talking, talking. And it seems to me you're still in your head about all this. She said, you still think you can solve this problem using your brain. <laughs> Don't you know you can't fix a broken tool with a broken tool? Uh, I'll never forget that. Um, the fact is, at a certain point, I had to admit to myself, and I did in that moment, that I was licked. And it was only when I was brought to my knees and, and utterly desperate could I find the power, the higher power. My human power, any human power in the form of the right sponsor, the right food plan was insufficient. Uh, another fellow, by the way, I was speaking to someone last week about steps one and two, and she said this, and I'll quote her. When I, find, when I could finally say to myself and to whatever conception of God I had at the time, God, my sponsor says you're real. I need a miracle. Help me. When I could say that, I started to feel better. Taking step one is that kind of surrender for, is that kind of surrender for me. I must be entirely out of ideas in order to be entirely ready for the miracle. So I've taken step one. How do I find the miracle? That's what I ask myself now. So again, uh, this is me talking again. Ha, 
how do I find that miracle every single day? And again, that's present tense. I need to find that miracle every single day. Um, but before I drill down into what it has meant to me to find that miracle, it might help to share a little background so that you'll know that I qualify to be here in case you haven't ever heard me before. So some statistics first. I've been attending OA for more than half of my life, which I can't believe. And in that time, I've lost and gained hundreds of pounds. My top weight was 265 pounds when I was 40. Today, at age 62, I'm five feet, three inches. My weight hovers around 145 pounds, and it has for the last four years that I've been abstinent, entirely abstinent back to back. So um, here I am. I grew up in a happy middle-class family. Dad worked. Mom had a part-time job and was home when my siblings and I got home from school. Pretty traditional. Um, I did well in my little regional public high school. I attended a nice private college and became a professional person eventually. Um, I grew up in a really loving, attentive family, but there was just this little teensy-weensy problem with chronic anxiety and compulsive perfectionism. My mother was obsessed with her weight her body image and was on a perpetual diet. I would come home from college and there was yet another diet tacked up on the refrigerator. My mother took my sister and me to our first church basement diet club, you know, where the scale was there and when I was 14 years old. And this began an obsession with my body and my weight that lasted most of my life. I, I you know, it's always been, I thought thin equals well. Um, in 1987, I was 27, 20, excuse me, I was 29 years old. Um, I attended my first OA meeting on the advice of my first psychiatrist. I was struggling with depression at the time. Um, and it just so happened that her, the focus of her research and practice was eating disorders. Um, she heard me speak about my problems with food and weight, and she uh, wisely said I should start going to OA meetings because quote, it's the best free therapy you'll ever find, and, quote, you'll learn the limits of control. Well, that went completely over my head, and, um, but um, thank you, God, I started my journey in OA, um, my late 20s. During the first 10 years or so in OA, I, I, I followed the a la carte method of working the program, like a lot of us. Um, our meeting format at the time suggested that you, quote, take what you want and leave the rest, and that's just what I did, of course. I didn't have much success losing weight, and my on and off binging continued. Um, therapy and work with this kind psychiatrist and medication helped me a great deal with my depression, and my career was progressing, but so was my eating disorder. Um, interestingly, that despite attending OA meetings regularly, I put on 100 pounds during my first 10 years in OA. You know, denial is not just a river in Egypt. I was hearing my story over and over, but I didn't think I needed to do what you people did. I thought I just had a weight problem and uh, when really what I had was a living problem, but you know, I wasn't ready to see that at the time. So fast forward to age 40, um, when I was at a point of complete desperation to finally lose the excess weight that was on my body. Um, I wanted to meet someone, I wanted to get married, have babies, you know, start my life. My career was going great guns, but, you know, a family of my own was a missing piece, and I wanted that desperately. I hadn't dated much um, because of my body image issues, and, you know, I was really inexperienced in relationships. Um, like I said before, I had this insane thinking. Um, thin equals well. 
uh, get thin, Mr. Wright will magically appear and all my problems will be solved. Um, so just at that time of desperation, I, I happened upon a new kind of OA in my area. The focus of that new kind of OA for me was a strict definition of abstinence. You adopted the food plan of your sponsor, and that was that. Um, at that sponsor's suggestion, I removed flour and sugar completely from my food plan. I began weighing and measuring all my food, except when I was in restaurants. And I was eating three meals a day with nothing in between, going to three meetings a week. The weight loss was dramatic for me as a result of that food plan. I lost 90 pounds in eight months. And believe me, I had never been able to achieve that kind of weight loss. Um, I wasn't, had never been much of a dieter. Uh, yeah, meanwhile, I am so grateful that that sponsor, that first sponsor in that sort of rigid kind of a way, gave me a great gift. She insisted. She said, I don't know anyone with long-term abstinence who doesn't work the steps. And she insisted I get into a step study. At the time, we called the step studies AWOL, which stands for A Way of Life. Um, they were closed meetings. They weren't sanctioned by OA World Service. And they were led by people who took a group of, of folks abstinent through the steps using mostly OA literature and the A 12 and 12 and referring to the big book on and off. Um, generally, it took about a year to get through the steps from start to finish in an AWOL. And I did one AWOL after another for about six years. And I tell you, my life completely transformed as a result of being abstinent and working the steps in that way. Not only was I thin, I was dating for the first time in 20 years. I was feeling like my life had forward motion. There was discipline in my, in my eating. And I found real joy, like I hadn't found since I was little. I was developing a personal relationship with a higher power of my understanding. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, you know, this is what it's all about. This is what's important. This relationship with the God of my understanding, that's the key, the key to the happy, joyous, and free life, the key to peace. So at that time, program was my number one priority, and I grew tremendous, tremendously in all aspects of my life, my work, my relationships. I felt really strong in my relationship with my higher power, and I felt a strong calling to pursue my heart's desire. Um, while I couldn't control when Mr. Wright was going to come along, I could, before I got too old, become a mother and start my own family. So at age 46, I went to the country of Kazakhstan and I brought home my infant daughter and we began a new life together, um, which is wonderful. Um, however, what happens next is a classic story. As they say in AA, don't let the gifts of AA take you away from OA and AA. And that's exactly what happened to me over the next three years. I attended OA meetings religiously, but I convinced myself I was too busy to do an AWOL step study now that I'm a single mother raising a child on my own working a demanding job. Um, so I stopped working the steps. Inevitably, the first relapse came, and it came when my daughter was about three. And that began a period of about 10 years when I was, and this is really important to my story, those 10 years, and I'm going to refer to it a lot. Um, and this was the time when I was using OA basically as a diet with group support, all the while relapsing on and off. I'd get a year here, uh, and then I'd relapse, um, and then I'd get three months, and then I'd relapse, and then et cetera. I and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't stay abstinent like I had been before. Um, 
there were scales on my eyes. I was going to three meetings a week, eating three meals a day with nothing in between, no flour, no sugar. And my pattern was I'd relapse, put on a lot of weight, then carefully select a sponsor who would allow me to go on a weight loss food plan. I'd commit my food daily to that sponsor. And then over the course of months, the weight would come off. And then I would think, like it says in Bill's story, I had arrived. I was thin. But of course, spiritually, I'd only arrived, arrived back where I started. Despite being thin, my life was crazy hectic and out of control. Um, I, I, you know, I, and I recall so well at the same time that my life was crazy, hectic, out of control, and unmanageable, I had this feeling of loss and emptiness. I, I missed the relationship that I'd had with, the God, with God before I'd adopted my daughter and I was working those AWOLs. But I couldn't see the connection. It's so odd to me when I think about it today. I couldn't see the connection between working the steps and finding that power. And the periods of abstinence would never last because I thought abstinence was everything. I'd get clean and then, quote unquote, and invariably some disappointment, a job loss, a relationship loss, a disagreement with a loved one would trigger a, a move back into compulsive overeating slowly or quickly. So by 2015, after yet another miserable relapse, again, worse than all the rest, I had put on 60 pounds in, about, in just a few months, and I felt completely defeated. I, and, I, and I was utterly perplexed at how to get out of the cycle I was in when someone, thank you God, suggested these new phone meetings called A Vision for You that were focused on the big book. You know, I had tried AA and OA, big book step study. Some of you may be aware of big book step study. But in those meetings, they said your four steps should take at least two years to complete or it wasn't legitimate. The problem is I was going to pick up food long before the two years was up. So that wasn't working for me. These Vision for You meetings were different. The speakers were talking about being recovered. What? How could that be? In the OA I attended, we were recovering. They talked about doing the steps in the fast lane. Boy, I like that idea. The bottom line is that I heard a message of death and weight for the first time in years. I wanted what I heard. I found a sponsor on the phone line. And, you know, I'm going to protect your anonymity. And I'm going to call that particular step sponsor Kay in honor of my beloved mom. So Kay and I started working together. And for the first time in my life, <laughs> at age 57 and a 30-year veteran of Overeaters Anonymous, I read the first 164 pages of the Big Burke virtually line by line with my wonderful step sponsor, Kay. And it was a revelation. I learned about the twofold nature of my illness. First, the allergy of the body that was triggered by taking in certain foods and ingredients unique to me, um, and two, the larger aspect of my illness, namely the obsession of the mind, which would, if untreated, always draw me back to the food after a period of abstinence. I understood now. Abstinence is not enough. I need a tra spiritual transformation to relieve this obsession. I finally understood what I was missing and that longing that I had. So I recommitted myself to my higher power in steps two and three. I turned my will over and I did a thorough four-step house cleaning. I started making amends to those people I'd harmed. Kay was a huge help to me in making those amends. Um, 
On page 83 in the ninth, uh, the ninth step promises, it says, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. And that happened to me. The scales finally came off my eyes and I saw clearly what was missing. The central and absolute essential role that God must play in my life if I'm to be recovered and stay in a recovered state. It says on page 83, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. And that sentence, we have to live it, is in italics. Scholars of the big book tell us that anything in italics must be read as if it's written in neon. In the 30s, 1930s, there were, uh, there were two fonts available, regular and italics, and they used the italics sparingly and only when the authors wanted to emphasize a central and essential point. So the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. I have to live it. So now this brings my story up to the past five years. Uh, and I'd like to pivot uh, at this point and take a deeper dive into the text of the big book and share with you how working the steps, um, especially steps um, two and three, have, with a recovered guide in entire abstinence has opened me up to a deeper and more effective relationship with the higher power of my understanding. Um, and to do this, I want to start uh, with a story. It's a bit of a cautionary tale, if you will. So five years ago, roughly, it's about it's early 2015, I had found a vision for you, as I said, and I was working with um, that recovered fellow I'm calling Kay. We were about halfway through my ninth step of man's, and I began to have the spiritual experience of the for me, which was for the, of the educational variety. And I was changing. Not only was food neutral in my life, I let go of my perfectionism, which was a revelation. And I recognized I was dealing effectively with my perfectionism. My parenting improved. My work was going well. My relationships more fulfilling. There was joy and peace in my life. So let me read something from Bill's story. On page 14, Bill is relaying the moment of his transformation in, the, in his hospital bed, and he's recalling the words of how his recovered friend, Ebby Thatcher, um, he said, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly, it was, was it important to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works is dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic for if the alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. So my step sponsor, Kay, repeated that same message to me, in other words, um, many times as we were proceeding to read steps 10, 11, and recall. I recall her saying, Elizabeth, now you've forged this new relationship with your higher power and your life is better. You need to consider how you'll continue to grow that relationship. I want you to think about what scaffolding you're going to erect in your daily life to do steps 10 and 11 and 12. Um, so regarding step 10 on page 84, it says, this thought brought us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as they go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So um, let me just say here that um, if, uh, what I notice here is that we, before we finish our nine step amends, they're already suggesting we consider this work going forward because we have entered the world of the spirit, as it says in the text, 
Our next function, as it says in the text, is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So, you know, this was what I was being asked to consider and doing every single day in my life. And Kay, my wonderful step guide, offered me examples of what she did every day to keep on the spiritual balance beam and continue to clear away any resentments, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, and grow in understanding and effectiveness by doing these steps, this 10 steps, and by incorporating prayer and meditation each day in, in her life as it was outlined in step 11. Most importantly, she emphasized the need for me to practice step 12 by working with others and sponsoring people in the steps. Well, guess what happened? I made a half-hearted attempt to do steps 10 and 11. You know, I went to CVS, I bought some index cards on which I intended to write my fears and my selfishness and so forth. And of course, I didn't because I got busy with my life and career and my daughter and, you know, keeping the, the world balanced on my shoulders. More ominous than that, I recall thinking specifically, holy cow, how could I possibly be as effective as Kay was with me in sponsoring? I'm not good enough. I'm not experienced enough to take someone through the steps. Again, I, you know, I made a half-hearted attempt at sponsoring. I went back to my rigid OA meetings and tried, you know, went back to acting like the food police for my sponsees. But, you know, it, it didn't feel right anymore somehow. Um, and I sort of dropped that. In effect, my self-centered fear returned, and I stopped enlarging my spiritual life in service to others. At the same time, in came, as Bill talked about, the worldly clamors. At that point, I had, it was 2016, I had decided to have some plastic surgery because I'd had breast cancer several years before and was able to make some changes. Also, I began the process of searching for my daughter's biological family back in Kazakhstan in anticipation of a trip that we'd planned to take to see her origins. Um, <laughs> at the time, I remember a non-away friend of mine saying, gee, Elizabeth, plastic surgery and going back to Kazakhstan, in, uh, that seems like a lot to handle in four to six months. Yeah, I totally disregarded that. I can do anything. Uh, so the trip back to Kazakhstan, just as my daughter was turning 13, was life-changing, joyful, disturbing, wonderful, painful. It was, it was everything. It was wonderful. Um, it's two weeks I'll always cherish. But through those, that time, I didn't set up the scaffolding for 10, 11, and 12, and I let my discipline slip away. I thought I was too busy and that my parenting came first, forgetting that it's my relationship with my power, power, higher power that makes my parenting much better and more effective. So by the time we were in Kazakhstan, my food disciplines were starting to unravel. I made excuses because, you know, I'm in a foreign country now. I took back certain foods that I had long given up as part of my abstinence, using that I was in a foreign country. So I can see now that when we got back home from that trip in August, it was the beginning and the end of my abstinence. Work was stressful, and I was saying to myself, you know what, Thanksgiving's coming, and damn it, I want to eat the same things my siblings eat. 
In the chapter more about alcoholism, it quotes a, the car salesman who, after a period of sobriety, decides to put whiskey in his milk, and he says, quote, I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, unquote. And as I was contemplating taking back certain trigger foods that were abstinent for others but not for me, that clearly trigger me, I had that same thought. No, maybe this isn't too smart, but, you know, I didn't heed it. I had no mental defense against that obsession, which had come back. So that began my most recent relapse, which I told you about. It was in the fall of 2016. Um, and I can't say to you today or myself that it's my last relapse. Um, the essence of working step one today, for me, again, is the acknowledgement of the uncertainty around when and if I'll ever have another, um, you know, another um, uh, abs relapse um, and what it will look like. Um, so this most recent relapse in 2016 was worse than the others. This time I put on 70 pounds in three months. And what was the root of that relapse? Basically, precisely, that self-centered fear that told me I'm not capable of taking people through the steps and my unwillingness to do 10, 11, and 12. Well, I can tell you that today, I practice 10, 11, and 12 today as if my life depends on it, because it does. I simply cannot give enlarging my spiritual life lip service. It can't be a theory. It has to be practiced. But here's the thing. When I do, I get, in return, Bill's experience described on page eight. Quote, I was soon catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. I'm getting a little bit bummed. Okay, so I want to get to some truths that have been uh, true for me. Uh, I want to share what happened to me in that last relapse and how I surrendered to my higher power and how that surrender brought me to a deeper relationship with the God of my understanding. So here I am, it's late 2016, I'm 70 pounds heavier. Um, I was gonna lose my job, and I was eventually gonna die if I kept on. Uh, and my now 13-year-old daughter was pleading with me to stop eating flour and sugar, and her pleads were breaking my heart. It was breaking my soul. And then on page 28, in There Is a Solution, it says, we, quote, we in our turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God, unquote. So between Christmas and New Year's, uh, that 2016, 2017, my daughter and I went up to our ski club in the mountains and I decided to use that time to detox, to get abstinent and get back to the steps because I was a mess but I grasped that flimsy reed and it did indeed turn out to be the powerful hand of God four years ago. You know, I, at the time I was thinking, okay, well, how do I get back to an abstinent food plan? Well, I went back to what I knew worked. At the same time, this little voice inside me said, well, yeah, but those XYZ things have to come out of your food plan. The XYZs, I don't wanna name the particular food because it's not important. That particular food, which is abstinent for other people that I had been eating, was triggering me. And, my, and that little voice inside me was telling me that. Because you know what? Like it says in the doctor's opinion, it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Well, I liked the effect, 
that this particular XYZ food was giving me, and it was keeping me in the disease cycle. Um, and I knew it in my bones. It, you know, in that moment, I kind of laughed to myself, and I thanked God for the understanding. And I haven't had that XYZ food since then, and I have no interest in it. So also in the doctor's opinion, um, Dr. Silkward writes on page XXX, all these and many others have one symptom in common. All these people, in other words, and many others have this one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment by which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So taking XYZ food out was key to becoming, for me, entirely abstinent. And that was the beginning. And that was how I was able to surrender so that I could be ready for the miracle, the next miracle, which was that deepening relationship with my higher power. And I had my, um, you know, I, I, so that entire abstinence was a new beginning. And I, and I had my first realization of what had been missing during those 10 years when my daughter was little, those 10 years when I was relapsing over and over again. I was going to meetings, yes, and I was, but I was relapsing over and over. I was not practicing entire abstinence. Yes, I was refraining from foods that my sponsor told me to refrain from uh, because she was the food police, but I was abusing artificial sweeteners, soda, and other substances that are triggers for me, and I was calling them abstinence. I was eating three meals a day, but I was also chewing massive amounts of gum, sh sugar-free gum, and throat lozenges. It was basically, as I said, keeping the disease alive. Um, so this brings me to my primary turning point around step two. Once I got entirely abstinent in 2000, early 2017 from that most recent relapse, I took the hand of another step guide. I'm not going to name her. And this step guide took, this step sponsor took me lickety split through the steps. We didn't read line by line, but we dove into the material very deeply. And I was talking to a lot of recovered people. At one point, while we were studying the chapter, and this is key, the chapter, uh, we, we were studying the chapter, we agnostics, but she had me go back to chapter two, there is a solution. And she had me read the following. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle of the road situation. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. And my step sponsor, after I finished reading, asked me a point blank question. She said, Elizabeth, what is your intolerable situation? Hmm, I wasn't sure how to answer. I sputtered out something like, uh, being in the food, the misery of being in the food. And she replied, well, that's not my intolerable situation. I said, well, what is? And she said, my intolerable situation is being abstinent without a higher power. Oh, my gosh. The scales fell off, to, off my eyes, and I immediately got it. I finally, in that moment, clearly saw what those years, those relapsing years were over and over were about. I was abstinent without a higher power. That's why during all those years, I was so restless, irritable, and discontented. But, I, but by God, I was thin. However, my disease had progressed, and I had by that time passed into the region 
from which there is through which there is no return through human aid. And I was choosing option one. I was blotting out the consciousness of my intolerable situation, i.e. my unmanageable life without a higher power. I was blotting out that intolerable situation with diet soda, sugar-free mints, and other foods and behaviors that today, thank you God, are no longer in my life and from which I have no interest in bringing back. So let me tell you something. I'm a religious person. My beloved father used to call me the spiritual director of the family. I was the one asked to do grace at the big meals, at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And for my whole life, I've been a churchgoer. I even thought about going to divinity school. So, you know, I believe in God. But for many years in OA, and here's the point, I didn't think God could or should have anything to do with my problems with food and weight and body image. My attitude was, okay, God, I have a personal relationship with you in every aspect of my life, but you're not allowed in my food. Someone on the Vision for You pretty recently offered this metaphor that really speaks to me. Quote, she said, God, she said this is how I think about my higher, my higher power. God, you go sit in the corner here over in this comfy chair in my living room, and I'll go in the kitchen and take care of my food. Because God, when it comes to my body, what it should look like, and the numbers on the weight scale, you're not allowed in here. That's why, for me at the time, I needed to find the right sponsor after my relapses had piled on the excess weight because the right sponsor would let me have a weight loss food plan for as long as it took for me to diet off the weight. And then I'd manipulate that sponsor into letting me bring back foods on a certain table, timetable that suited me. There was no higher power in that. It was all about control, control, control. So for years, as a religious person, I didn't think the chapter to the agnostic had anything to do with me. Now I was confronted face-to-face with my own agnosticism around my food, weight, and body image, thanks to this most recent step sponsor. Once I saw this truth, my obsession with my weight and my body image became clear. I went back to the chapter, We Agnostics, and I read it with new eyes. I could finally relate. I saw the dozens of times in the chapter where the word prejudice is used, and I highlighted them in yellow. You know, I noticed where it said, do not be prejudiced about spiritual matters. Well, I had been, certainly been prejudiced about spiritual matters. Or where, had, where we who have traveled this dubious path beg of you to lay aside prejudice. These words took on new meaning for me. So I saw my true, the true nature of my higher power all those years. I believed in God, but I didn't believe in God. Listen, I tell my daughter, she's now 17, I believe in you, honey. You can do anything you set your mind to. But do I believe in God in that same way? That he can do for me what I can't do for myself? Can he restore me to sanity around my food and my body image issues? All these things that haven't been working for years. When I accepted that God could and would relieve this obsession fully, when I accepted those things fully, the miracle happened. In January and February of 2017, all of a sudden, instantly, I no longer cared how long it would take me to get that 70 pounds off my body. It was going to come off in God's time, not mine. And I could finally focus in on the steps and clearing away the wreckage in my past and doing the rest of the steps. On page 56 in We Agnostics, in italics, it says, quote, who are you to say there is no God, unquote. Well, I had to say to myself, quote, Elizabeth, who are you to think that God can't restore you to sanity? 
Are you not limiting your concept of your higher power? Maybe you need to set it, say the set-aside prayer and find a new conception. And I love the set-aside prayer. It's, God, set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, and you for a new experience and an open mind of myself, my brokenness, and especially you. And of course, my brokenness is my disease. So here's another example of that change in attitude and outlook of my higher power. That early January 2017, when I had taken XYZ food out of my food plan and gotten entirely abstinent, I put myself in that figurative hospitalization to detox at the ski club. It wasn't a real hospitalization, of course. It was just me lying on a bed while, my while people, kind people took my daughter to the ski hill. And I just laid in bed and prayerfully went through the work of trying to find um, uh, some help for this and get back into the steps. And at the time, I prayerfully wondered, okay, should I have a food sponsor? Because you see, in 2015, when Kay took me through the steps, um, it, the first time, the Vision for You Fast Lane way, I was still working with a food sponsor simultaneously. So I was working with Kay on the steps, and simultaneously I was working with a food sponsor to whom I was committing my food daily. And, um, and you know, that's how, that's how I worked the program. But in 2017, I didn't have a food sponsor. Um, I was desperate, and I just needed to get started on this entire, on this abstinent food plan, and I did. I took XYZ out, and I started on this abstinent food plan, and at the same time, I asked God. I said, God, if I'm meant to have a food sponsor to whom I commit my foods daily, I'm going to leave it to you to put, it in, put someone in my path in the course of my making phone calls. In my desperation, I put the matter in God's hands and I started committing my food until, I found, until that food sponsor showed up. I started committing my food to God every day on my knees. It's written, committed, and, I had, and, and this prayer came to me at the time. Um, it was an extension of the third step prayer and it was, quote, and God, I offer my food to thee. May it nourish my body even as I look to you to nourish my soul. These are the words that just popped into my head. And guess what happened? The food sponsor never showed up. And I've been committing my food to God every day for the past four years on my knees using that prayer. Now, I do write it down in the morning before I do my 11-step review for the day before. But my food every day is committed to God. Now, this works for me. For other people, and I have sponsees who have a food sponsor that they commit their food to, and, and that's absolutely fine, whatever you need for accountability. Um, but what I found is I couldn't BS the food sponsor in my mind and heart, who was now God. And that brought my program to an entirely new level of honesty. That surrender to God, the idea of putting God, letting God put someone in my path was so important. I stopped trying to control the numbers on the weight scale, my body weight scale. Control, I realized, was the problem. I was learning. Like that first psychiatrist said, what I would learn in OA, and that is the limits of control, and that the higher power was, was, was essential. This realization back in 2017 has given me a new life. At the bottom of page 50, um, it says, here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed, this is in the chapter of diagnosis, they flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude of that, toward that power, 
and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed in. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they showed the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink problem, the drink, excuse me, the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. They show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. Unquote. For years, as a card-carrying member of Overeaters Anonymous, I used to say at the podium and say to all assembled, quote, abstinence is the single most important thing in my life today without exception. Well, I can tell you that as a result of working the steps in sequence in entire abstinence for the last five years, I no longer believe that. My relationship with my higher power is the single most important thing in my life today without exception. But that, this has to be put into practice for me every day. This is no mere, mere theory. I have to do 10, 11, and 12 in my life every day. My life isn't perfect by any means, but I have to tell you it's a life beyond my wildest dreams for which I am grateful every single day. You know, metaphors really help me, and <laughs> I'm about to mix them up mercilessly. Um, my higher power, my relationship toward my higher power today is like my being in a well. It's not a dark and scary well, quite the opposite, in fact. It's, this well is like how C.S. Lewis describes heaven. Like it's all, quote, all lit up with eternal rays, unquote, unquote. So for me, in this well of peace and serenity, all lit up with eternal rays, I am moving deeper and deeper. But I'm not passively moving deeper. I'm actually moving my limbs and my body, and I'm, I'm working to move deeper. It's like that with my program. As I take the actions, cleaning up my food plan, you know, regardless of whether I want to or not, but just doing it, I am moving in an ever-deepening well of peace and serenity and light. And that is my experience. You know, I'm human, and sometimes I decide I've arrived. I'm done. You know, I've got this. I know enough now. I have enough knowledge. At those times, I'm carving a little seat for myself in the side of that well, and I sit, resting on my laurels. You know, over the past year during this pandemic, I've done a lot of sitting on my laurels on that little stoop. Yep, and it's made me restless, irritable, and discontented a lot. And I begin living in the bedevilment. At those times, you know, quickly or slowly, the light begins to dim, and then it goes out. And I'm sitting alone in the darkness, and it's uncomfortable. It's, in fact, the darkness of my own mind. And it's at that moment that I've taken my will back. But the beautiful thing is that I sponsor people. And by sponsoring people, I reconnect with my own powerlessness. And I help, as I help a sponsee examine prayerfully their trigger foods, you know, which are unique to them, I have to keep looking at my own food plan. Is anything triggering me? 
how can I suggest to them to remove something to be entirely abstinent if I'm not willing to do the same? So yes, you know, I sometimes do take my will back. Being in my mind alone is like being in a bad neighborhood alone. Luckily, because of the program, I don't have to stay there long. I, you know, I can, I can get my higher power back with me. I can invite my higher power back in using these steps and taking these actions and keep going deeper and deeper in that well of eternal light. And for me, you know, it's doing step 10, 11, and 12 every single day. That last step sponsor that I had back in January 2017 said to me, quote, Elizabeth, I wake up every morning an untreated addict, unquote. Well, you know what? Me too. And I never thought I would be grateful to wake up an untreated addict. But doing all the things that I do brings me to a place of peace, of serenity, and connects me to the world and to my fellows in a way that is infinitely more satisfying than any XYZ food could ever be. And I am so grateful to be an addict today. And I will, with that, I will pass. And thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, thank you for your honesty this morning and, and freely giving yourself to our, our, our fellowship this morning. The uh, share ID for this morning's presentation is 16622. That's 16622. And Elizabeth's contact information will be provided at the conclusion of the meeting. And so now why don't we go ahead and transition to questions and answers. What I'd ask you to do is to unmute yourself by pressing star one and give us your first name and your last initial and we'll get you in the queue here. Mary Lee from New York. Christina oh boy. J. I heard Christina. Sarah. Sarah Audrey. Sarah Audrey. Andrea. Andrea. Mary Lee R. in Eugene, Oregon. Was that Mary Lee? Yes, sir. Mary Lee. Thanks, Mary Lee. Who else? Christina. Christina. I think Charles Christina Rich. has at the top of the Christine hey, G. Chuck. From Chicago. Christina, Christine G. Okay. G. Was there a Christine? Yeah, I got that. Was there a Christine as well or a Christina? Yeah, there was a Christina J, Larry. Okay. Thanks, Christina. Shana Y. I'm sorry. Say that name again. Shana Y. Shana. Okay. And one more. Linda. Let's stop with Linda for now. Okay, and let me give you the list. I have Christina J. I have Christine G. I have Sarah, missed the last initial, Audria, Mary Lee R. Um, I got Chuck. I got Shana and Linda. Let's go with that for the first round. And if everyone, unless you're the beautiful Christina J., if you would be kind enough to mute your phone, and we'll start with Christina J. followed by Christine G., Christina, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service, and thank you for that nice compliment. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Um, I 
Wake up, Elizabeth. By the way, your share was incredible. I found myself tearing up so many times because I love that connection with God. But I wake up every morning, and of course I'm untreated, and I'm in the irritable, restless, and discontent. But my dream has been all through program that, and when I got the food down, I thought for sure that I'd start waking up feeling peaceful and joyous to to be alive again. But that hasn't happened yet, and I wonder if it's ever going to happen or if I'm just going to be crawling back to God every morning, uh, working that to get that connection again, which does happen when I do my prayer and meditation in the morning. But I just dream maybe of the day of waking up sometime uh, <laughs> peaceful and just grateful. So um, if, does that ever happen? Does that ever happen for you? Thank you for the, thank you for the question. Thank you for the answer. <laughs> um, can I be heard? You can. Can I be heard? Okay. Uh, Christina J., I cannot thank you enough for that question. Because, yeah, especially during this pandemic, I wake up, oh, gosh, I got to say, lately, most mornings, not feeling peaceful, you know, I sometimes have to crawl my way to peacefulness. I Seriously. And that's the truth for me. These actions that I take, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm in spiritual boot camp these days in the pandemic. I mean, it has been, and, and you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be entirely honest with you people. Okay. Because, because I feel as if I need to, and I'm going to trust the anonymity of this program um, and tell you that fear and anxiety have been corrosive threats in my life for my whole, most of my life. And I am treated for it. And um, at the risk of this being an outside issue, um, you know, I, I am treated um, medically and it does help me. Um, I'm not saying that anyone else should, but I would be less than honest if I didn't uh, make it clear that, you know, my life is not all rosy. Fear is continues to be, and it really, I would have to say that resentments and conflicts with other people and acting on impulse and, you know, doing all those things that used to get me in such a mess because I, I you know, I was, I was just a wreck. And, you know, I've worked through a lot of the, and, and I'm very clear on, you know, where my resentments come in and I work step 10 and 11 every day. But that fear, that unrelenting anxiety that I've been feeling throughout this pandemic has really been very difficult to handle. And I sometimes have to crawl to God to find, to find that peace. But, you know, and I, and I have help for it. <laughs> uh, therapy and other kinds of help. Um, I would be less than honest if I didn't tell you that for me, it is an integrated, my life is built on it and, and my serenity is built on an integrated approach to self-care that, you know, I, my top priority is the 12 steps and working them because they do bring me the peace and serenity. Um, but it takes a lot of work for me. Um, I'm not sure that's answering your question. But, you know, there's this image I have of just racing toward God. And there are days when I am just, I just run and I'm prostrate and just say, you know, God, I just need you so much. And then one of the things that might help, I, I, 
invariably when I get back in touch with my step sponsor and I'll say, oh my God, this terrible things are happening and my life is a mess. The first thing she'll say is, get another sponsee. That's the first thing she out of her mouth. You need a sponsee. And it's really true. That has, has helped me enormously in those, in those to, to crawl back into that place of, of, of serenity is to, is to work with another person and get into service because that helps me to come out of myself and um, and uh, being of service is the is you know it's like the solution like it's a solution like no other like it says in the big book. So I hope that's a little bit helpful, even though I feel like it's all over the map. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Okay, next up uh, we have Christine G. Followed by Sarah. Christine, I thought they blocked us out from Chicago, screened us out, but somehow uh, they let us in. Good morning, everyone. Oh, great lead. Just great. Um, I could relate so much. I do have a question. I've been in OA since, oh, I was 19 years old, and I'm not 19 anymore, for sure. But um, uh, my question to you is, how do you sponsor? Um, okay. Boy, that has really evolved. Um, it's a great question, Christine. Thank you. Um, First and foremost, I am not the food police. I used to be when I was working a kind of rigid OA program in a different, you know, in a different way, um, as I said, and <laughs> I was relapsing over and over. But when I would get periods of, of abstinence, what I called abstinence at the time, um, I would sponsor people and I, they would, you know, I would give them a food, you know, we'd work on a food plan together and I was pretty opinionated about what they should eat and not eat. Um, I do not sponsor that way anymore because, you know, in my opinion, everybody's trigger foods are different. Um, and I can't, and, you know, since, since I really surrendered and started committing my food to God, I saw the connection between rigor, real and started living real rigorous honesty without the BS. And so I can't get in between anybody's relationship with their higher power around what foods may be triggering them. I mean, I can tell them my experience, but and I have some tools and some techniques that I use to help them and guide them to figure out what their trigger foods might be. But I can't tell them what those are. So that's the first step when I sponsor people. You know, what are, is, you know, is to work through that. And then, you know, then it's just a process of, um, and everyone's different. Everyone has different needs. You know, sometimes I'm talking to somebody every other day, sometimes once a week. It really varies. And um, I used to be so much more rigid about it. Like, this is my time and, you know, this is what I have to offer and you take this and, you know, or, or whatever. I, you know, I, the reason why sponsoring is so important to me is that it has enlarged my spiritual life because it has, has allowed me to understand that I am not in charge of somebody else's abstinence. I am not in control of what they do or don't do. I can't get them abstinent. I can't keep them abstinent. This, my job is to guide them to find their own higher power. I'm not their higher power. So it has helped me look at my own control issues. And so my evolution as a sponsor has helped me look at my own control issues and be, get actually closer to my higher power. And that's, 
the essential, that's why I have to do it. And it's not easy and I'm not great at it, but you know, to, uh, when I was, when I was telling my last step, step sponsor in 2017, how can I possibly do this? You know, and I knew I had to because the last time I didn't sponsor, I relapsed pretty quickly afterwards. And she said to me, I said, I'm afraid I'm going to say something stupid. And she said, Elizabeth, you will. But you know what? That's not going to make or break their abstinence. You're not that powerful. <laughs> she was great. She used to say, you know, this is an ego reduction program. It's not a weight reduction program. And sponsoring has really helped me let go of my ego around guiding people. It, it is really a one-on-one -on -one kind of thing between that person and their higher power. And I am just a guide on the side. So that's kind of my philosophy. The mechanics I work out individually with each person. I hope that's helpful. Okay, next up is Sarah and followed by Audrea. Sarah and Audrea, if you give your last initial, we'd appreciate that. Good morning, Sarah. Um, so you you combine Sarah R. from New York and Audrea. We're two separate people, just as a heads up. Um, hi, this is Sarah R. from New York. Um, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your openness, your honesty, your vulnerability. I love how you took the step three prayer and you wrote, God, I offer myself to thee. That That's going to be very helpful to me in <laughs> the coming days. Anyways, my question for you um, you were talking a lot about fear, all different kinds of fears. And um, one thing in particular, you mentioned when you went on vacation and um, you relapsed. I, I travel a lot, a lot of weekends. Um, I'm always traveling. And, you know, when it comes to the fear, I'm always like, I won't be able to be abstinent when I travel. So I, I know that this is a spiritual program, but I was hoping um, you know, you, you can give some recommendations about how to stay abstinent when one travels all the time, how to stay abstinent when we have this fear in our head about, oh, this is holiday season, um, I'm going to stuff my face because I deserve it. All of these different kind of fears that come up. But I guess the main thing is um, abstinence over travel because I've killed my abstinence and I relapsed even when I made plans. Thank you so much. So even when you made plans, you still broke your abstinence. I, you know, I talked uh, in my story about the first 10, my first 10 years in OA, doing it the a la carte method and um, hearing my story over and over. And, you know, I was in the care of a, of a therapist and I was, you know, getting better. But I also put on 100 pounds in OA. Well, I was in a job where I was traveling a week out of every month. And so I know what you're talking about. You know, you're away from home. You're away from your routine. Um, you know, if you're an anxious person like me, getting from point A to point B, and I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of anxiety that comes up when, when one is traveling. Um, so I, I totally get that. Um, and then the second half of my story in OA was that six years when I was doing one A wall after another, and I was uh, at what I defined as abstinence at the time, and I was in step studies, and I was still traveling. That time, I found a way to travel abstinently. And for me, it was about um, setting up even though I was going to a place, uh, 
basically setting up the scaffolding for my travel in a way that would uh, provide self-care around me. So I had an arrangement with my sponsor at the time that if I was going into a restaurant, I could call her before I went in and just, I've looked at the, I've looked at the, what's on the menu, uh, Chris, here's, here's roughly what I'm going to eat. And that took the burden off of me. So I did a lot of that. And, you know, I'd be calling her from Berkeley, California, when she's in Massachusetts, you know, New Hampshire. And so I had that kind of arrangement with the sponsor. It's not possible for everyone, but certainly that's what I, what I needed at the time. And where, when I went somewhere, I would, first thing I did, I would put my clothes away in the hotel room and I would open up and a book and I would, or I would find out where the AA meetings and the OA meetings were and I would schedule them into my time so that my program while I'm traveling is number one, period. My disciplines are number one. I need to stay connected with this higher power of my understanding by taking action. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to do my best. And there were, good, there were times I would get to a, somebody's house where I was entertaining someone and I get to their house and I didn't know what was going to be going to be uh, offered at that meal and I was like oh my god how do I sit my sponsor would say to me say a prayer before you and invariably everything would work out just fine it wouldn't be perfect but it would be okay and I could hold on to that abstinence ultimately it's about the for me it's about the motivation, what is my motivation here? You know, and am I connected with my higher power and um, am I continuing to work on that connection? Um, and so I don't know if that's at all helpful, but there are, there are some disciplines like setting up some supports for yourself before you go. And, and rather than letting someone else make the suggestion on the restaurant, you choose a suggest you choose the restaurant after you've after you've gone online and looked at what's on the menu, you know. So there's certain logistical things that you can do. Or I always I never eat airplane food. I'm always I always bring my food on the plane, and it's weighed and measured, and I know it's going to meet my needs. And I I work really hard to eat my meals at specific times of day so that I don't get myself overtired, so that I don't subject myself to food thoughts the next day because I'm overtired. So, you know, there's some radical self-care things that I do because my higher power loves me and wants me to stay with my higher power. Because if I'm not with my higher power, I'm not as in service as I'm not in, I'm not in that joyful place of service, you know, so I hope that's helpful. Okay, thanks, Sarah. Next up is Audrea, followed by Mary Lee R. Audrea, good morning. Good morning, Larry. This is Andrea S. in New Jersey. Oh, Andrea, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Elizabeth, for bringing this. I want to share what I was able to see because of what you were talking about, because then it came up with a question. Um, So, because of your share, I was shown the role of shame in my relapse. Um, so I have shame about how I look when I'm obese. And then it surprised me after being abstinent, I had shame how I looked when I was thin, suddenly getting all these leering looks that I thought I wanted. Um, and, and the shame of how I look to the rest of you when I relapse and not being able to talk about it because I don't have faith. 
And most important, and here's the big one, uh, the shame of being able to let higher power in all of this flawed thinking and the shame to bring him to the cupboard with me. So one of the things you said was about um, putting God in the corner chair while you were tending to your food. I understand that. I understand getting with my higher power. But I wanted to hear more, if you can, about your experience of finally prying your higher power up out of that corner with your food. And thanks. <laughs> oh, Andrea, I love that question because it, it really allows me to go back and go into a little bit more detail about the experience that I had around, because I so relate, you know, I, I was, I've been obese in my life and had such shame around that obesity. And, you know, and, and when I got thin, I had shame around the looks I got. And, and I mean, I liked it. I liked the attention, but I didn't know what to do with it. And it, it, it was disconcerting. I know how you feel about that. It took me a long time to settle into you know, and then when I would put on 60 pounds after a relapse or 70 pounds after a relapse, oh, you know, it was just horrible shame. Um, and, you know, over and over when I was in OA and I, I didn't have the kind of ex relationship with the higher power I have today, I was using the program to diet off that excess weight so I could get down to that thin body because I was so uncomfortable with the shame of being, you know, 60 pounds overweight. Um, you know, I, the turning point for me was just, <laughs> you know, uh, it was a desperation. You know, there are people who say that the acronym for God is G-O-D, and that means gift of desperation. And it, all I can tell you is that I can't explain it. You know, it's inexplicable to me. It, it, you know, God can't be <laughs> pinned down into words for me, at least for me. Um, but in that moment at the ski club, by the way, it's not fancy or anything like that. I'm not a rich person. It's just a very, very rustic place. In that moment on December 27th, my daughter and I are up there. And I am 70 pounds overweight, and I am desperate. It's almost like my desperation was bigger than my shame. All the shame issues kind of went away, and I just knew I'm going to die from this unless, unless I get entirely abstinent. Or, you know, at that time, I thought, get abstinent, go back to the food plan that I know works for me, three weighed measured meals, nothing in between, no flour, no sugar. Oh, and by the way, those XYZ things, that food, I don't want to say what the food is. Those XYZ things that I've been going to special stores to find, to get for my salad, those have to go. That was a still small voice in my mind that was telling me, I need you entirely abstinent if I'm going to give you this miracle. Because otherwise, you're going to be still seeking that power outside of me. That's what God was saying, basically. You need to give up everything that is separating me from you. And that means that XYZ food had to go. 
so that I wasn't seeking power in it anymore, so that I could seek the higher power, a new experience, a new understanding of that higher power. And when I heard that little voice, I took that XYZ out and I started to feel the weight of the, the, the food neutrality came back again very quickly. And I knew that I was on to something. And then, then the issue was, oh, do I need a food sponsor? I got to get a food sponsor. I got I to get a food sponsor. And then the still small voice and the prayer came. If God wants me to have a food sponsor, I'm going to surrender and let God put someone in my path. I don't know how or when, but if it's meant to be, I'll get that food sponsor and it'll come to me. Well, as I told you, it never came. And I don't know what happened, but after that surrender and I started to, to work through the steps, I no longer felt that shame around the way I looked. It didn't matter how long it was going to take to get that, that excess weight off. What mattered was this journey that I was on. What mattered was, you know, being connected with this power greater than myself, finding that, that power so that that power could restore me to sanity and trusting that it would. And, you know, at some point I just no longer had that shame and I had no longer had that, those machinations around it. And, you know, today, uh, you know, I'm in a thin body and it's not perfect. I had breast cancer. You know what? <laughs> it does not look like, uh, it looks like a body that had cancer. It's not perfect. But you know what? I, um, I'm okay. And I have a relationship with a wonderful man and, you know, he loves me. <laughs> and that's what matters. So I, I don't, I can't answer, I, I don't know, I don't feel as if I answered your question well, other than to say, boy, do I relate. And, you know, just, you know, get with the higher power as quickly as you can and, um, and, and get entire abstinence and, and work the steps in entire abstinence. And I, I believe that you can be relieved from that shame because I have. It happened for me. So I hope that helps. Thanks for the question, Andrea. Okay, next up is Mary Lee R. followed by Charles. Mary Lee, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. <laughs> I remember meeting you in Virginia Beach, and um, I just think of you every time I hear of you. And Elizabeth, I think we could be um, sisters with different mothers. And December 27th was an important day for me, and Gray Sheet was my first experience, which it sounds like was yours. So, my question is, could you repeat the prayer that you said slowly? Thank you. Yes, and by the way, it wasn't Gracie, um, just to clarify. Um, but, you know, it was, um, it was, a, uh, it was an OA. Um, it was OA, um, but it wasn't Gracie. Yeah, I, I love this prayer. So here's the way I, way I do it. I get on my knees and I say the third step prayer. So I'm going to say the prayer third step prayer and it goes because it's an extension so my commitment my to God so it is 
I get on my knees, first thing, like I roll out of bed and I get on my knees. God, I offer myself to thee, to do with me and to build with me what thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help, thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And God, I offer my food to thee. May it nourish my body, even as I look to you to nourish my soul. It came from out of nowhere. And so that's my higher power. It's kind of the way my higher power works. Then I, you know, my daughter is still sleeping because she's a teenager and she sleeps late, which gives me a blessed hour, sometimes hour and a half, where I can go to my fridge and see what I got. And then I sit down and I, I write down what my food is going to be for that day. And then I do my 11th step. And I, ask, I answer the questions that are in page 87. And for the day before, I do any 10-step work. I do a gratitude list. And, um, and you know, on days when I take sponsee calls, I take sponsee calls. And so that's how I do it. Thanks for the question. Thanks, Mary Lee. Okay, we have Charles followed by Shana. Uh, Charles, uh, quick question for you. Can Syracuse cover against West Virginia? <laughs> I don't know, man. These upsets, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Larry K., for your service. And you are a, a, a great host, and you pronounce names very great. So thank you for your service. I just had, here, here. had the need to say that. Yes. Here, here. Yes. So um, Elizabeth D., thank you very much for, for God uh, shaking the truth out of you. I have a question for you. Um, you, you, you. You actually stated, you know, that um, you wanted to utilize HP or higher power um, over the word God and and, and in, intensively listening to your share, I heard you use God about maybe a close to 40 times. And in we agnostics, it's, there's nowhere where higher power is, but I, I see the word power with capital P. So my question to you is, um, and by the way, a lot of people shoot their shot. They shoot their shot during the week about their, you know, their faith or lack of it or, you know, their whatever, their opinions on the word God, and, and looking at these two paragraphs coming up, um, do you feel some type of fear or you feel some type of discomfort in using the word God? That's my question. Oh, love that, um, Charles. Thanks for that question because it allows me to share a little bit of a, about a conversation I had with um, a fellow last week, a recovered fellow, because, yeah, you know, I, uh, maybe it's a little bit of my people pleasing, you know, my need for approval, you know, which is still something I work on. But, you know, I don't want to offend anyone. And frankly, I've worked with, and I've also worked with sponsees who are atheists. And, and interestingly, God's little joke on me is that the man that I am with who is the man of my dreams, turns out to be an atheist, which I think is hilarious. And, um, you know, and it, 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 it is it's definitely, 
has reinforced for me the brilliance and genius of the way our book was written so as to be inclusive of people regardless of where they are in their spiritual journey or ever will be. And so I, I think that there, maybe it's a little people-pleasing, um, but more than anything, I think for me, it's a kind of value system that I have around respecting the founder's desire to be inclusive and my desire to kind of try to model that as best I can, imperfectly, without a doubt. But, um, you know, and power is such an important word because it's so inexplicably linked to my uh, problem with problem in life and problem with food and so forth. I mean, I was looking for power in all the wrong places, you know. I, I was looking for power in the XYZ food. I was looking for power in all kinds of things, that, and it wasn't there. Um, so I like the word higher power, and I, and I, and, and I use it a lot. Um, but it's interesting to me that, that you point out that I said God 40 times, and, you know, it did slip out, I guess, a few times. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, in this conversation that I had with this recovered fellow last week, she was just, she just was wonderful. She said, you know, my higher power, I should, I, she, and basically, in a, in no, she said, I have surrendered to the, to the notion that I don't have to apologize to anyone for my agnosticism and from the, the, the sense that, the, and, the, and the belief, and then the fact that I don't believe in God. I don't have to apologize to anyone. And I said to her, you know, that's a surrender in itself. You know what? That's a surrender in itself. And she said, yeah, it is. And she said, you know, my sense of higher power is like me sitting in an amniotic fluid of safety. So that's kind of the way I see it. I'm like in an amniotic fluid of safety. And she said, whether it's God or not, it doesn't matter. It's just how, and, and as long as I'm working, and she said, you know, the spiritual life is hard. You know, it takes a lot of work. It's not easy. Um, she said, but as long as I do those things, I'm kind, I'm honest, I'm tolerant, I do those things, you know, and I meet, you know, the world with, with the spiritual dis the disciplines that I learned around the 12 steps, then, you know, my life is better. So um, I'm not, you know, I'm not embarrassed by the word God. It's just, I think, more of an acknowledgement of wanting to honor the spirit of the inclusiveness that I think is so brilliant in our, in our literature, uh, because it's, it saved so many millions of people's lives, regardless of, of their faith background. Thanks for the question, Chuck. Chuck's. Charlie, it really is great. Yeah, thanks, Charles. Chuck. Charles. Appreciate Charles. It. <laughs> Charles. Yeah. Uh, that's. I, I'm the only one that gets to call him Chuck. Uh, you know, then I have to Sorry. run if I see him. <laughs> okay. And the other thing, Char the other thing I want to say yeah. is, God, um, Charles, I am so grateful that you said God shook the truth out of me because you know what, I could have said that and skipped the hour that I talked. So thank you. <laughs> Uh, thanks again, Charles. Okay, next up is Shana, if I pronounced that correctly, and then we'll wrap up with Linda. Uh, Shana? Hello, can I be heard? You can. 
brilliant. So my name is Sheena Y from England. Um, and my question, to be honest, I've been listening to every word you've said, so it's hard. I haven't even managed to articulate my question properly. Um, but more or less what my question is, is how do you put aside your perfectionism when it comes to understanding your concept of God so that um, like yourself, your self-judgment and perfectionism um, doesn't get in the way of, of you allowing your higher power to enter. So, like, for example, when I'm trying to pray to God or whatever, then I feel like if I'm not in the right headspace or I'm not saying the right words or whatever, then God can't hear me or maybe um, just all those sort of doubts um, with regards to God and your higher power. Hmm. Really interesting question, Shana. Um Yeah. I, I'm not sure if you got muted there, Elizabeth, or maybe you're just pondering the question. I don't know. But we can't hear you. I did get I did get muted. Okay, oh, here muted. I am again. Okay, there you go. Yeah, for yeah. some reason I got muted, so I just unmuted. Um, I just said that that's a really interesting question, and I think, I know, I don't want to say I think because my thinking is broken. My understanding of my higher power is often in retrospect. I will look back and I will see how it has, um, my higher power, how God has worked in my life. And, and you know, the beautiful thing is that God does not expect perfection from me in the way that I address God. God does not expect perfection in me. God expects my effort. You know, there's something, you know, I don't mean to bring in an outside issue, but I read, I read spiritual literature and I love C.S. Lewis and he says, God delights in our effort. You know, that's, and I believe that. I, be, I also believe that, that God really wants me to be nearer and nearer and nearer to my creator. And all that requires is my effort. All that requires is my honest willingness to draw closer. And, and God does the rest. It's, it's extraordinary to me. It's a mystery to me. And perfectionism is, it, by its very nature, mystery crushing. <laughs> perfectionism for me is an attempt by me to control outcomes so that I don't have to feel pain. That's what perfectionism is. Um, and, you know, it often keeps me from doing things because I need to I need to do it perfectly in order for to get the outcome that I want. But um, by working the steps in, in entire abstinence, and you know, frankly, like I said, an integrated approach to my self care that involves medicine, it involves the twelve steps, it involves that radical self care. By doing that, it has brought me closer to the higher power of my understanding, who does not require me to do anything perfectly. You know, it says right in the book, you know, um, 
we seek spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. Um, so I, I, I feel your, I feel you and um, would be happy to talk more with you about perfectionism. So um, I'll provide my, because I, you know, I was prey to it for many, many years. And um, a lot of it I have had, I've been relieved from. And that is a miracle. And it is a mystery. And, um, you know, uh, it's embodied in the work of my higher power in my life. So thanks for the question, Shana. Yeah, thank you, Shana. Okay, we're going to wrap up with uh, Linda. Linda, good morning. Linda, press star one. Hi, everybody. I'm Linda. I'm an addict. My latest abuse is with uh, food. I um, I'm in recovery and other programs yet. Have been using food to use and abuse, and um, the only difference is that um, I'm using food now, and I'm um, using food to live. Uh, just as I use drugs and alcohol to live. I um, I spend my time every day in prayer and meditation. And, um, my dear Linda, can I ask if you have a question? Sure. Can you a question? Thank you. Falcons. I'm sorry, did you, did you have a question? Yes, what do you say for Falcons? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you hear that, Elizabeth? I, I missed it. I did. Right? I did. I didn't. I didn't hear it, Linda. Can okay. You yeah, make Linda. The if you could take, say that one one more time on the question for Elizabeth. I will. I appreciated hearing your qualification, Elizabeth. And my question to you is: What are your favorite slogans? Oh, oh, gosh! Thank you, Linda. Oh, that's a wonderful question. And and Linda, first and foremost, thank you for being on the line and um, welcome. Um, So glad that you're with us. Um, What's my favorite slogan? Um, This morning, live and let live. Uh, Because I was talking to a a sponsee and we talked a lot about that slogan. Um, Live and let live um, is one of my favorite slogans um, for sure. and let me think, what are some other, what other slogans do I say regularly? Um, well, what's your favorite slogan, Linda? I want to hear that first. Are you still on the line? Okay. Well, I hope, I know you said you're in prayer and meditation. Um, I hope that you'll keep coming, Linda, and um, grab the hand of a recovered fellow um, by going on the eight o'clock line if you if you haven't already going on the eight o'clock meeting that's live every five days a week and at the end of that meeting people who are recovered are are looking for people to take through the steps and I hope you will grab someone's hand if you haven't already and um, begin the process Um, it's uh, it's a wonderful process and I'm so glad you're with us 
Ditto. Yeah, thanks, Linda, for being here. And thanks for everyone being here, and most especially um, Elizabeth D. Uh, thank you so much for just a, a lovely, lovely share and just to the point, and it was just so helpful, I know, to me and to so many others. Now, Elizabeth's uh, contact information will be provided again at the conclusion of the meeting. Uh, I'm going to close the meeting before we end the recording uh, by reading uh, from page 164 in a chapter entitled Vision for You. And then we will uh, stop the recording. We'll get Linda's information. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <clears throat>